we're going to give you the, the biggest security problem. We're going to have like, four, we may have 400,000 people there. We may have to bring in... I don't know if you recognize the tune slowly starting there. That's you two getting ready to film where the streets have no name in Los Angeles in 1983. 83, 1987. <laughs> Even when I said it, I knew I said it wrong. Anyway, why are we playing that? Well, we're welcoming you to Mac Macklin and McGarry, where listeners become winners. This morning, Norma Pauls won the trip to see you two in Vancouver, May 12th, the Joshua Tree 30th anniversary tour. And we called Norma this morning, and of course she had laryngitis. <laughs> Why are we pumping this up so much? Because Norma qualified listening to Mackling and McGarry eight days ago. We had the most qualifiers. We had seven qualifiers compared to six from the news from uh, with Richard and Julie. So we you're that. Yeah, I like that. So you're right. Where listeners become winners, Mackling and McGarry. On 680 CJOB. Speaking of winners. Congratulations, Norma Pauls, by the way. Have fun. Speaking of winners, Tristan Field-Jones joins us in studio. And hello, Tristan. Thanks for delivering the news at the top of the hour so effectively. Uh, what, are you gonna, what were you doing about five minutes before you, you, you decided to deliver such an exquisite newscast in such a professional fashion? I was working very, very hard at my desk making no, sure that... No, you were not. I was working... No, you weren't. I, I was slightly working. Nope. That's not going to try do it for again. Me. I was sitting right beside you. I may or may not have been playing Pac-Man on Google Maps. It's it, Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man. I apologize. <laughs> Are you Thank playing you. it right now, McGarry? Uh, yeah, I can. <laughs> what is this? Oh, so uh, this is not the first time uh, Google Maps has done this. I don't remember. I think they may have done it last year, or a couple years ago. But it's very simple. You can do it right now if you're in front of a computer. Google Maps. Oh, no, Brett. Don't worry about it. Anyway, him. yeah, uh, Google Maps. Uh, and what you can do is um, next to, uh, I think, Earth View or Satellite View, there's a little kind of Pac-Man logo there. And if you zoom into a map, you can select a neighborhood, even in Winnipeg, if you want. And that becomes a Ms. Pac-Man level. And you can play Ms. Pac-Man on in Google your own Maps? neighborhood, on your own street. Exactly, you could do that. When did they do that the first time? Do you know? I, I don't remember. I know this is not the f this isn't the first time they've cool. done that, but That's pretty uh, cool. it, it's it's very cool. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, you know if you're at work right now and uh, you need a little break, you need a, a, like a three hour break. Uh, <laughs> it's super addictive. I, I, as you saw me do, I just tuned you guys out. I was busy chasing these ghosts, but they got me. They yeah. got me. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Well, Tristan, we'll um, be monitoring your work habits very closely this afternoon. <laughs> and uh, thanks for giving everyone a potential diversion on this Friday afternoon. I fully expect that in the middle of one of your interviews, uh, Brett is going to forget that he's got Pac-Man in the background and he's going to go to browse the internet and suddenly you'll hear, you know, and then Oh, that's well done. And then and then there's going to be apologies, and then the segment will be derailed for a few minutes or something. like. I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. They last did this, by the way, 2015 for April Fool's Day. And they, in 2010, they created a Google Doodle, a Google Doodle version of Pac-Man. I remember that. Uh, to mark the Arcade Classic's 30th anniversary. You can still play it, apparently, by typing Pac-Man into Google. Now cool. you know. 
Thanks, Tristan. I got lots of work to do. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go no, do that. Got to maintain your integrity as a newscaster. So That's thank right. you very much, Tristan Field Jones. April Pacman. April Fool's Day tomorrow, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, you got into the act last Saturday, a, a week in advance, by covering Tristan's desk and papers. Yep. You posted this on our Facebook page. Yeah, I don't like a giant. Oh, not the CGOB, just your think, own. Well, yeah, just my own because we, I, I can put them up on the CGOB Facebook page at some point. Um, but uh, actually, there's a video as well that Matt Carter put together. I know it was outstanding. And we asked the question. We never got into the topic as it happens so often on this program about some of your best pranks and some of the things that you've done over the years to, to prank your coworkers. And on this eve of April Fool's Day. I'm remembering one of the responses that we got at 7806868 by text. And it was someone that worked for Highways who told one of the newbies to uh, find the checkered paint. What? Can you go into the storage room and get the checkered paint? (laughs) Okay. Yes. Of course, it doesn't come out of the can that way. (laughs) All right. So what happened? Well, of course, you spend all sorts of time looking for something that doesn't exist. <laughs> That's one of the great practical jokes. It was like at Earl's when we used to tell the, the newbies to uh, go in the basement and uh, get some elbow grease. Oh, and they boy. would spend an hour looking for a basement that didn't exist. And then you would apologize. And then you'd give them a container and tell them to go across. Do you remember the Sears Automotive Center across the street? Uh, down Polo Park area at the very end near Portage Avenue, mm-hmm. give them a container and say, I think they have some over at Sears. And then you go over and then the mechanics would kind of mess around with you or whatever. Oh, I think we got some in the back here. We'll be right back. And <laughs> then they'd come back totally besheveled because you know, that's part of the initiation, right? Mm-hmm. Of being on a team is having a prank played <laughs> on you. Yes. And the other one that I liked and finally got in trouble from one of the cohorts in the... Uh, in the strip mall in Vernon was uh, we would send <laughs> we would send uh, one of the new servers with like the biggest lobster pot you've ever seen with a lid all the way down to the end to the coffee shop and ask if they had any spare steam for the cappuccino machine because our cappuccino machine was running low on steam. And finally, the owner just said, okay, enough is enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Don't make me the bad guy for your practical jokes. Anyway, feel free to uh, send some good ideas our way, although I suspect you may not necessarily want to share them today because you might have potential victims lined up for tomorrow. But if you send them to us, we promise, yeah, right, not to tell. I'll try to get the the pictures and video up shortly on our CJOB Facebook page. What I did to Tristan Field Jones's desk over the weekend for when he arrived on Monday is uh, our desks are they're not like full size cubicles. They're just sort of a row of desks with little dividers between each of them. I think the 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 it's maybe three feet across, three and a half feet across. Not huge desks, and but so I I encased his. In I don't know I want to say seventy sheets of paper I just was I basically built a barrier I cocooned his desk underneath it looked like a giant Christmas present yeah I essentially wrapped paper. his desk and yes before anybody asks the sheets of paper had already been used they came out of our recycle bin they were destined for I recycling. repurposed them for Tristan's desk and naturally he was appropriately annoyed 
when he arrived here on Monday. So I'll get pictures of that on our Facebook page and the video that Matt Cardi put together uh, as soon as I can during the commercial break. Perhaps I'll see if I can sneak out and do that. Do we want to update weather and then come back and talk about the carnage that was created over the winter by snow clearing operations? Sure. Uh, 204-780-6868, by the way, if you have any... uh, uh, prank stories, uh, by either by talk or text, 204-780-6868. Uh, your forecast is coming up next. One sixteen Friday afternoon, you made it. Weekend's just around the corner. If this is the start of your work week, thank you for that. I know how hard it can be to work the shift work. We appreciate everyone that works the odd hours so that we can take advantage of our days off and our time away from work to get all the other stuff done. Frontline workers, doctors, nurses, you name it, thanks for doing what you do. Do you want to press pause on this uh, City of Winnipeg thing with the lawn carnage? Because we're getting some pretty good text messages on on some of the pranks. Yeah. Producing on the fly, it's called. Uh, text message at 204-780-6868. My co-worker came back to work after, after having varicose vein surgery. And I left a note on her desk that she needs to call her doctor for a checkup. And I told her the doctor's name is Dr. Geriatrics. So she calls the hospital and wants to talk to Dr. Geriatrics. It amounted to an argument because she wanted to talk to Dr. Geriatrics, but there is no geriatrics. Maybe you want the geriatrics floor. Mm-hmm. That could turn into an argument pretty quick. I'm sure. <laughs> I wonder if it ended up being an argument between the person making the phone call and the person who played the prank. Oh, not everybody likes to be pranked. Not everybody likes it. How about when I worked at Motor Coach, we used to send newbies down to the other end of the assembly line and ask for the part stretcher. The part stretcher? Mm-hmm. What's the part stretcher? I think it's a fictitious tool in the toolkit of those building buses. I don't think it exists. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> that is a fictitious tool because it actually gets referenced, <laughs> surprise, surprise, in the previous text. Other examples, uh, how about this? Powdered antifreeze uh, for Corvair or Volkswagen. Very specific. Ask plywood stretcher for when... Uh, when uh, joy, joints, joists, man, that must be a talk to test, text, uh, joists were too far apart. That would be uh, if you're building or framing a house for sure. <laughs> or not joists as it's spelled? No, joists. <laughs> yeah, joists. Joists. That's uh, 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 several uh, ladies named Joyce. Carnage by snowplows. Here we go. I just saw the text message. Okay. Didn't know if I could read it or not. So how about I'll read my letter and you can proofread the text message. Okay, sure. I sent a letter to the city of Winnipeg. And I think I'm pretty polite in my emails, Brett. Yep. Yep. Okay. Hello, city folks. I'm writing on behalf of friends and neighbors. There's a trail of destruction on our bay left left behind by snow clearing operations. Large pieces of lawn that have been transferred by tens of feet. I sent a picture of... Uh, easily a 30 square foot piece of lawn that was on the opposite side of the driveway from where it came. And then a picture of, well, where that piece of sod came from. This is one example of at least a half dozen on my bay. I can only imagine that our little part of the city is not alone in this circumstance. So here's the ask. Who can we speak to about whether or not there has been more damage than usual 
What's the process for a homeowner to have this evaluated and rectified? And who does the work? Thank you, Greg. Okay. So here's the letter that I got back. Do you want to play the city? Sure. Yeah. I am the city of Winnipeg, uh, responding to one Greg Mackling. Hi, Greg. We're not able to accommodate an interview, but here is some information. It can be expected following a Winnipeg winter that some lawns and boulevards will suffer damages from snow removal operations. Citizens are encouraged to report all damages to 311 and ask that their location be added to the city's seed and soil list for seeding and soil operations that will take place this spring. If it is determined that a contractor had control over the location for snow removal operations, the contractor is obligated to repair any sod damage caused by his snow clearing operations with topsoil and seed. All restorations will be in accordance with City of Winnipeg standard construction specifications. Snow removal operation claims involving citizens' vehicles should be reported to MPI. Citizens can report other property damage claims involving snow removal operations to their property insurers to ascertain whether there is insurance coverage available to them. If citizens are unsure about who to contact, they are welcome to report any claims to the city via 311. Bodily injury claims should be reported without delay to 311. City of Winnipeg frequently enters into contracts with private contractors to perform work on the city's behalf. The city's agreements with the contractors contain a requirement that the contractor take responsibility for their work and respond directly to claims for any damage or injury they may have caused to the public. If it is determined that a contractor had control over the accident location at the time loss or damage occurred, the city's adjuster will forward the claim to the contractor for their investigation and handling. Citizens will be advised in writing when their claims have been forwarded to a contractor. And there is a link for information about the city's claims process. You can just go to the city's website and snoop around there. Now, I understand that this happens every single year. I've been a home owner for going on 15 years now. And For most of that time, I've had uh, a front driveway, and this year just seemed to be a lot worse than other years. And so I just wanted to know if this was a particularly bad year for this. Uh, That question didn't get answered. Mm -hmm. So now I'm coming to you, and the first answer that we've got and the first response at 7806868 is carnage by snowplows. Someone get hurt or die? I think we all forget that, especially with front drives, a certain amount of footage is city property. And with the amount of snow we had, stuff happens. I have repaired out an our front lawn, no biggie, and I'd rather have the snow gone. Fair enough. Appreciate that, listener. That's a that's a nice way to uh, to go about things and a great perspective on life, if you ask me. So appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yeah, the, well, I we were sort of discussing this uh, amongst ourselves in the newsroom, wondering if the the way that winter began had anything to do with this, because as you may recall, November was particularly soggy. It rained a lot in November, and everything was soaking wet, and then we got a snow dump. So then the plows had to come in. Right. And maybe that, who knows when that damage occurred. Maybe it happened right near the beginning of the season. I, I don't would know. not be surprised. I'll be quite frank with you. I wouldn't be surprised at all just because it didn't reveal itself until most of the snow was gone. Mm-hmm. So those strips of sod. And like I said, on my bay, there's like a hundred houses and a dozen or more great big giant strips 
uh, of sod. I know it's not the end of the world, but it's something that we talked about a lot in the wintertime in terms of snow clearing. These are some of the things that I think make Winnipeg, you know, this is a rough time of year for yeah. our city. It is U-G-L-Y. It's we have a, We have a little bit of an alibi, but it is it is rough. And so it's going to be a while before you can even get out there and start repairing these things because you can't start working on the lawn until really till sometimes may long weekend mm. because it's got to be uh it's got to be unfrozen and thawed out otherwise you can do real damage to the lawn anyway i didn't think it was an extraordinary request to have somebody come on and talk to us about this imagine that a lot of people are dealing with this and don't necessarily know where to go to get things repaired because we all like things looking pretty don't we mm-hmm. fair enough i'll move on to a well, 204-780-6868 have you ever had a situation like this where, because the city says if there is damage that you can contact the city and then they'll add you to, what was it, their soil and, uh, soil and, seed, I think. Soil and seed list. And then if they, and then if it's deemed that it's, you know, that it was a, be because of a contractor, then it would go to the contractor. But 204-780-6868, if you've ever had a situation like this that you had to deal with, with the city, how did it go for you? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is also the number to text. Also, what is the situation on your lawn? And we got a text here saying, look, more snow this year means more plowing and more damage. Absolutely. It was a busy year for plows. Mm-hmm. And But still, we're, just, we're curious to know if you your lawn was uh, a ca- ended up being a casualty in the war against snow, <laughs> 204-780-6868. And maybe, here's another one, if maybe you're a plow operator and you might have some insight into this. Was it just as simple as more snow, more damage? Yeah. And also you asked the question about time of year, right? And and when our first snowfall came. Yeah, because it was it was mild and it was wet, as because it usually gets really cold before. So I'm wondering if maybe the ground wasn't quite frozen enough. And then as a result, it was damaged. Do we have a... The text message echoing exactly what you said. Well, let's get to that after Global News. We'll do Global News at 1.30, and then we'll carry on this conversation. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It's the number to text. You can email Greg, gmac at cjob.com, and you can email me, brett, at cjob.com. 1.34 on this Friday afternoon. He's McGarry. I'm Mackling. I apologize if I came across as being like angry about the snowplow damage. I understand it's a part of springtime in Winnipeg and Manitoba. I was more upset about the fact that the city wouldn't let us have someone to just to talk to about it and to find out if this year was worse than others Mm -hmm. and just to let the public know in someone else's voice, as we always say, when we want to have a conversation with you, we like it when you call. Otherwise, it's us reading your text messages and emails in our voice. We love it in your voice. And so we can read emails and stuff off of websites all day long with information and advice to citizens of Winnipeg and Manitoba. But there's a reason why we guess, get guests on the air, and that's to put an actual voice with some knowledge and expertise on the other end of the line. That's what I'm more upset about. I understand that this is something that happens. It just feels as though and seems as though it was worse this year than in other years. In case you are just tuning in, Greg shot an email to the city asking 
if they could talk to if we could talk to somebody about the situation with plow damage there was some damage on his lawn some damage on his neighbor's lawns significant more significant damage than usual uh there's always going to be a little bit of damage i think here and there but this year seemed like there was a lot just in his little neck of the woods and we were wondering how it is for you and the city didn't want to they wouldn't put someone up. So Dwayne is calling in at 204-780-6868. Dwayne, what do you have to say about this? Well, it ain't so much about damaging the uh, yard. It's uh, with my yard. I've got about a 25-foot piece on the front where they figure it's a good dumping area to put the snow they get from the road. Uh-huh. So for about 25 feet by 8 feet, I've got mountains of snow throughout the winter. So as it starts melting, I got nothing but all the debris from the road, garbage and rocks and asphalt and everything else. So as it melts, we just shovel it all back onto the road. So at the end of the melt, I don't have a yard full of garbage, but the street is just covered now. Let the city clean it up and they come by. So they put it there, so I let them take it away. All right. So do, do they actually take it away? Yeah, well, yeah, when they do the uh, street cleaning. That's Dwayne. That's work. Okay, that's a that's not that's kind of smart, Dwayne. I thank you for that. I probably would have uh, would have would have cleaned it all myself, but I guess he's right. They put it there so they can take it away. Well, and as another texter pointed out, that is you know even if your driveway goes right to the roadway and you don't have sidewalks in your area, there is a certain amount of frontage, or uh, you know. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Because frontage is the width. Mm-hmm. There's a certain amount of your yard, your yard that you maintain all year, but it is city property. Yeah. You know, uh, because there are sidewalks in some because parts of the, of the city. And, yeah, the boulevard. But, you know, we only think of the boulevard if there's a public sidewalk separating your front yard from the street. Okay. And just because there's no sidewalk doesn't mean the city isn't technically in ownership of what you would consider a boulevard. The boulevard exists whether there's a sidewalk there or not is that making sense yeah so so in other words if you have like a front driveway kind of kind of house where there's no sidewalk that runs a look yeah because i lived on a on a uh a cul-de-sac cul-de-sac and i had a fire i had a tiny front lawn <laughs> oh it kind of wedged yeah to the- <laughs> it was a tiny front lawn but i did have a, there was a fire hydrant on my lawn right so that first five feet or whatever the number is and if you know let us know is uh it, it belongs to the city even mm-hmm. though you know you're not going to stop cutting your lawn at that magical point and actually, maintain it all. And actually, now that I think of it, I had a, a tree that I, and I had to get the city to come cut it because it was it was growing so, it had grown so much that it was actually hanging like right in my neighbor's doorway. Oh my goodness. So I had to get them to come. And it was and, a city tree? Yeah. Very good. Uh, so we did have a text message that was backing up exactly what you were saying from Vince. Part of the problem is that the ground didn't freeze hard in a lot of areas. We got a big dump of snow before we got cold. And you have hard and big uh, loaders sinking, etc., where ground usually is frozen hard. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate that. I'm just going to uh, have a traffic note for you here. There's been a two-vehicle accident at Ness and Mount Royal. First responders are working in the uh, the right-hand eastbound lane of Ness. So light standard is down at that intersection and red lights are flashing. So once again, two-vehicle accident, Ness and Mount Royal. First responders are in the eastbound curb lane on Ness Avenue. Light standard down at that intersection and red lights are 
flashing. Chris is at 204-780-6868 with a comment about plows. What do you have to say, Chris? I, either, I'm just saying uh, we all pay taxes, so, like, isn't that what we pay taxes for? Or, like, that's exactly what our taxes should be going to. Is to, to repairing the damage? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, it should not be on our, our taxes, like, on, on our tab. Like, we shouldn't be the ones having to pay for it. Yeah, We're well, yeah, that's a fair comment, Chris. Thank you for that. And we have a, a text message, uh, Chris, that sort of runs along the lines of what you were just talking about. The city claim department, this is a text now, at 204-780-6868. The city claim department policy is to drag out the claim for as long as possible until you become frustrated and quit. We had a sewer backup because the sewer wasn't attached to the main sewer. Oops. They've been investigating for almost a year on something they already know. Thank you for that. We Texture says, uh, this is called city property. Laugh out loud, laugh out loud. Yes, we know it's called city property. It's eight feet, according to one Texter. Uh, and so that uh, boulevard, that's all, of course, city property. We're trying to find exactly what the right word is. If you've got a piece of property that doesn't have a public sidewalk cutting through it, uh, dividing your property from city property. That's we- all. We have two Ricks on the line, Rick and Rick K. We're going to start with Rick. Hey, Rick, what do you have to say? Hi. Uh, a few years ago, I had uh, an issue where the plows, the contractors were dumping the snow on the yard, and they landed up damaging a tree. And uh, I contacted the city. They came out. And uh, the first thing the guy did is he wanted to find where the water shutoff valve is. Because wherever the water shutoff valve is, plus one more foot closer to your pro- your house is the city property. Uh-huh. And then they realized that the entire time that they were dumping for that one year, they were dumping it on my own personal property and the city paid for a tree. And uh, I'm sure it went to the contractor, but that's kind of what it is sitting at now is if you find wherever your water shutoff is, at a foot closer to your property, that's where that city line is. Rick, you are a peach, my man. Thank you for that. That is great. That is a great reference point for a lot of people. We uh, know exactly where that is. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, partner. Appreciate it, Rick, very much. Rick K is at 204-780-6868. Hello, Rick K. What do you have to say? Yeah, well, that's uh, basically in regards to what your the previous caller just said. Yeah, the the word you're looking for in regards to the property that's called an easement. Thank you, Rick. And uh, that's why the city, when they plow, there's a, that, it's, I, I believe it could be eight, it could be maybe as much as nine to ten feet. But if you have, like you see, where uh, in the neighborhoods, like you're referring to in suburbs where there's bays without no sidewalks as opposed to the older areas of the city, that's called the easement. And you see where your fire hydrants, so that's not all the property owner's property. And even the same thing, the, the approach to your, like your driveway, that uh, although it comes right out to, up to your grad, to, you know, to the front of your home, there's still so much belongs to the city. So that's called easement. So that's why they go and push the snow. And sometimes it might get damaged. In some cases, they might push snow even a little further onto private property. That 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 happens in some cases. But they always do come and rectify it if there is a claim. But the bottom line is there there's so much of that property, uh, it belongs to the city, and that's called an easement. All right, Rick K., thank you so much for that. Appreciate it very much. Our listeners are the best. Asking ye shall receive. Kevin is at 204-780-6868. Hey, yeah, Kevin, well, what do you have to say? Well, my um, 
my mom's had an issue at her place. She's on a um, on a laneway, right, where it's just easy for the plows to pick up the lane snow and the street snow and just pile it onto her lawn, which actually they last year had just put all new lawn on the actual city property also because they're not going to only put it up to, say, where the fire hydrant is and that's a city line and not do any more, right? So they got all brand new lawn and everything, and they kept piling snow on it. So we came up with a solution of just putting a snow fence up in the winter. So now the plows will either damage the snow fence if they want to pile it there. So now they put it on the open side, which is all city property grass, and everybody seems to be happy. But if we didn't put up that snow fence every year, they would just pile it there and kill her grass. And um, they really don't do anything about it. I, she's actually called about it before, and they haven't rectified anything. So this, this is our rectifying it ourselves. Thanks, Kevin. That's very uh, ingenious. Sometimes you literally have to stake out your property in or, order to prevent damage from it, without okay. question. Sheila sent me an email, a funny story. My small town clears the sidewalks faithfully. My area has narrower sidewalks because the area is older. One year they ran over all the sidewalks, but my street had at least six inch a wide strip of mud on each side. Laughed when I saw that when what they'd done, but I also knew they'd fix it, and they did. They spent the summer sprinkling grass seed beside a lot of sidewalks. It is 145 on 680 CJOB. Bob, stand by. We're going to get to your phone call, but we do need to pause for your forecast on Mackling and McGarry. It's 149 on this Friday afternoon. The whole conversation for the last half hour has been about snow damage to your lawn and other parts of your property. What do you do about it? Telling tales and figuring out what an easement is and the water <laughs> shut off and the demarcation point and all these different things. It's been very educational. So thanks for tuning in and we appreciate your interaction. We've got so many pranks. We're going to have to create a whole separate section of the program to get to those in honor of April 1st, April Fool's Day tomorrow. Bob, in the meantime, is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Bob, what do you have to say? Yeah, it's you guys pretty much covered it, but in new developments, that uh, city easement on your front approaches is typically 18 feet 6 inches, and that's where that shutoff valve will be. So your previous caller had that right. And then they'll dump snow on that whole 18 feet 6 inches all along the front of your lot uh, as needed. And, and I think, yeah, uh, fair enough. Not much you can do not much you can do about it. Hopefully your landscaping, your drainage on your landscaping is such that the drainage will end up in the street and not in your front door. Well, which of course is why you get the that special in uh, grading inspection, right? When you build a house in these newer developments and if you build infill, the city has to come out or you have to get one of the uh, uh, companies to come out to survey and, and make sure that you've graded everything correctly, right, Bob? That's correct. Final grade is very important. Yep. Right on, Bob. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks for the work that you do. I can tell you're a hard-working guy based on your knowledge on all this stuff. Much appreciated. Have a good weekend, guys. You too. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Very much appreciated. By the way, uh, I said that I was going to try to get the video 
uh, the the prank of Tristan's prank, where I pranked his desk. I wrapped up his desk. I cocooned it entirely in paper. Finally got that video up on the 680CJOB Facebook page if you want to see what it looked like and see how unhappy Tristan was about it. So we've got a few minutes now, so let's get to some of those pranks. We'll move along from talks about lawn carnage. Uh, I don't know if that's hyperbole or not. I don't Ah, think it it was. I thought it was carnage. Uh, Bob says, years back while working in an automotive dealership. It sounds like automotive guys, mechanics and such, are very full of the pranks. Uh, I worked in a service garage. I ran a long wire along the back of our workbench and attached it to my workmate steel toolbox. At the other end, it was hooked up to a 12-volt spark plug test unit. When my workmate went to pull open a drawer on his toolbox, you guessed it, it was testing spark plugs. Oh, boy. I'll call him Ron. He jumped into the air immediately, chased me across the shop. No harm, <laughs> no fall. Thanks, Bob. Oh, my gosh. Here's a text to 204-780-6868. We got the new guy to fill the water fountain. <laughs> Tim says, had a boss send me to buy a skyhook. Skyhook. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? The famous skyhook. Good luck. On the railroad, the newbie employee uh, was having a hard time nailing spikes, and he was missing them because he was, and we told him because he was using a left-hand sledge, and he needed a right-hand sledge. So the left-hand, right-hand thing, that's that's a popular <laughs> one. Didn't Burger King have a prank where they put out a, a huge full-page ad on on uh, April 1st announcing the arrival of the left-handed Whopper? Oh, really? Yeah, that they were redistributing <laughs> the condiments and the pickles and everything <laughs> so that left-handed individuals could eat their hamburger more efficiently. <laughs> Steve says, workers sent me to the parts department for a bucket of steam bolts. There actually was such a thing. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, but no. <laughs> it was actual. <laughs> Regarding pranks a few years ago, one of my coworkers found an abandoned elf on the shelf at our workplace. When it was unclaimed, it was stuffed in my mailbox to scare me. Instead, I made him a fine pair of pants and started taking photos of him around the workplace. Some turned out cute, others a bit creepy. One co-worker is quite bothered by him, so our plan is to take pictures of the elf outside areas she works. Then when she is on those areas, a friend will notify me and I'll send her pictures as if the elf is watching her. I don't know why he disturbs her so much. (laughs) Elf in the shelf. That's tormenting. Yeah, those things freak me out. Greg J says, back in high school, I convinced a girl there was such thing as a left-handed pen. If you hold a pen in your right hand, the writing is right way up, but if you hold it in your left, it's upside down. So I told her when you get a left-handed pen, the writing is the right way. Then she proceeded to argue with the teacher for about 20 minutes there was such a thing, and it was funny. Greg J., thank you for that at 204-780-6868. Uh, let's see here. More restaurant pranks here, Brett. Okay. Find the left-handed spatula. Wet mop the walk-in freezer. Oh, oh that's not good. Go to the grocery store and get the 50-pound bag of puffed wheat. Won't that be heavy? It's puffed wheat. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. What if it's 50 pounds? Still 50, 50 pounds. pounds is 50 pounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, is this a prank? Okay, let's try this. Chris says, 
Many moons ago, I did landscaping. One day, my foreman offers to let me operate the front end loader. Then, when I started driving, he be- this actually maybe have I'm going to keep reading. When I started driving, he began to run over toward me, waving his arms frantically, screaming, "Your wheels are turning! Your wheels are turning!" <laughs> this being my first time on the machine, I immediately stopped and looked down to the wheels. It was then that I looked up, and he was laughing as hard as he could. He got me. Of course, the wheels were turning. You were moving. Ed says, <laughs> one of the kitchen sites up north used to publish lotto numbers, oh no, on the notice blackboard. Someone put up some of the numbers of one of the cooks. When the cook came to work, he double-checked his numbers. He thought he won a couple hundred K. Bad joke. Oh, he never God. was the same. The notice board was also restricted to work-related issues henceforth. That's terrible. Yeah, that's, that's that's mean. That's mean. That's a kind of life-crushing thing. Mm. Uh, that reminds me, when I worked at Taco Bell at 1536 Regent Avenue West, which is now a credit union, <laughs> that makes me sad, um, our, we got a new boss, a new store manager, and she put something up on the, the board. It was just a, a notice to all of us that we were going to get together and have a meeting so to, to welcome her, me and my friend Steve graded it. We went through it and corrected her spelling and grammar and then gave her a grade of, I think, 6 out of 10 or You're 7 terrible. out of 10. You're awful. We almost got fired. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> she almost fired us. She was incensed. My apologies, Angie, if you're listening. <laughs> we event- it, it eventually was okay. It was eventually okay, yeah. and you became friends yes. after all. Yeah. My daughter had a trick played on her, and first had her first job. She was making phone calls to customers. They gave her a piece of paper asking her to call Myra. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> Myra Mains at the local funeral home. Oh boy. <laughs> One fifty-seven Global News coming up next. In those few minutes, I witnessed the birth of a nation. One hundred years ago, the world took notice of Canada's victory at Vimy Ridge. In April, all of Canada will remember. Join the Vimy Foundation as we commemorate and celebrate the hundredth anniversary of our coming of age. Find out how at Vimy Foundation. It's 2.05 this Friday afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Brett. And this marks a very significant anniversary in the history of our country. We are coming up to the 100th anniversary of the battle at Vimy Ridge. Jeremy Diamond joins us now. Jeremy is the executive director of the Vimy Foundation. And Jeremy, uh, thank you for taking some time with us this afternoon uh, on the eve of of some very special celebrations. Thanks for having me. It's uh, going to be an incredible show next weekend, both uh, in France and across Canada, to commemorate and really to celebrate 100 years of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. So those that are unfamiliar, maybe you could give us a little bit of a history lesson in terms of not only this battle and why it became so critical in terms of the way the rest of the world, at least the, the Western world and our allies, viewed Canada as a country. 
Well, this was the first time that Canadians fought together in battle, which is significant in 1914. We were uh, a country of only 8 million people. We were largely considered British subjects at the time. Um, and we achieved something that no other country was able to achieve, the taking of this strategic ridge in 1917. The four divisions that were all split off uh, and serving in different battles at the same time came together for the first time at Vimy and, uh, and took the ridge that the French and the British before them could not do. Um, and I think most importantly, out of that, two things happened. One is the world noticed Canada for the first time. Uh, headlines across the world and newspapers from New York and around the world said Canadians take Vimy Ridge. And secondly, at the end of the war, Canadians and Canada were asked to be a signatory on the peace treaty uh, that signified the end of the war. So not as Britain, but as Canadians. So there was, this, there was a sense of pride and, and identity uh, that happened after that battle. And then it was only solidified even more when he was chosen to be the site of the, uh, the incredible monument that was built by Walter Allward about 20 years later. So you mentioned that next week there's going to be uh, some significant things happening both here and in France. What's going to be happening in France next week? So we're having about, uh, expecting about 30,000 Canadians going to attend the official commemorative ceremonies at Vimy uh, in France, which is an incredible gathering. And just thinking about it as we've been planning for it, what other gathering, what other reason would there be to, to have 30,000 people descend on a, a town in northern France? Um, not even for the Olympics do, do that many people travel from Canada uh, to go to another country. So significant that that many people will be traveling there. Um, but the day before that, we're going to be uh, unveiling a new education center um, at Vimy. And for the first time, we're going to have a, a center, an interpretive center, an education center that will tell Canadians and the world the story about why we were at Vimy and why it is so important as a seminal moment in our history. So education is really key to start people's journey at Vimy on the 8th and then the wonderful ceremony with 30,000 people on the 9th will really open Canadians in the world's eyes about the importance of this battle. Of course, we take a lot of time on Remembrance Day on November 11th to discuss the historical significance of the First and Second World War in particular and amongst the other battles that Canada has participated in. We honour those that gave their lives, those that survived, and and all the associated parts of the military and, of course, the work that was done uh, this side of the Atlantic Ocean in both those wars to create the artillery ne necessary to, to win those wars. But I was startled to learn uh, from some of the documentation that I was going through that 10 years ago, only 30% of Canadians recognized the unique importance of the event at the Battle of Vimy Ridge. 10 years later, is that number increasing, Jeremy? We, we feel that it, that it is, and especially with young people. Uh, we have this great sense of education programs that we run at the foundation. Every year, more and more young Canadians, 16, 17, 18 years old, are submitting applications or going on these pilgrimages, as we call them, uh, to Vimy. Um, we know just by anecdotally how many events we feel and know that are going to be going on in communities across the country come April 8th and April 9th that there is this feeling that with no soldiers and veterans from the First World War around anymore, it really is our sense of responsibility to keep these stories alive. And young people, young Canadians are really embracing this, which is so encouraging for the foundation and, and for this country. Um, it is up to them and up to us to make sure these stories never die. 
Here's one, and this, and, and I hope this isn't offensive because it almost borders on speculative fiction. But had the Canadians not taken that ridge, what uh, what do you think we'd be? What do you think would have happened? Yeah, I think as an identity piece, it's a very good question because because that we took that that ridge, uh, there were a number of people following the war that were involved in a decision of where to put the war memorial. Remember the the memorial. And the monument at Vimy is not to Vimy, but it is to honor and remember those that perished in the First World War in France without a known grave. So really, that monument could have been at Passchendaele. It could have been near Hill 70. It could have been in Verdun. It could have been in other areas. Uh, but Vimy was chosen because of the success of, uh, uh, of that battle. Um, so it, it would be hard to say if people would, would know Vimy as much as they do if, if the famous monument wasn't there. Uh, and let's be honest, if it wasn't a short word. It wasn't something that is in our history textbooks. It is now in, a, in our passport and in our money and in a citizenship guide. It has sort of, uh, you know, uh, stood the, the test of time over 100 years uh, as the, the, the point of entry when people learn about Canada's entire First World War effort. Jeremy Diamond joins us. He is the executive director of the Vimy Foundation. We are coming up on the 100th anniversary of the battle at Vimy Ridge, where really, Jeremy said so eloquently, where Canada became recognized by the rest of the world as a genuine country, an independent force on the planet. And so when we look back on that and other significant battles in the First and the Second World War, uh, Vimy has this special place why is it so special to you? I'm looking at your picture here and your bio. You're, you're like you're a young guy. What is it that, that drew you to uh, take up this, what I can only imagine is a passion project for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you, I spent a, a day with Canada's uh, last veteran uh, of the First World War. Uh, John Babcock was 107 years old when I met him. And I, uh, we flew to Vancouver and then drove to Spokane, Washington, where he lived. And I talked to him for the whole day about uh, his experience. And he wasn't a combat veteran, but he had trained at 15, got kicked out, trained again at 17, uh, made it over there. And uh, the war ended just as he was about to see battle, which thankfully for him, it probably would have ended much differently for him if he had seen battle in those last few days. And he told me about the importance of keeping these stories alive, about what life was like and what Canada was like 100 years earlier. Um, And out of that, about a year and a half later, my wife and I traveled to Vimy. By ourselves, we were at the monument alone. Uh, no one else was around. And that moment uh, will always stick with me as, as something that can never be replicated. The, the incredible nature of the monument itself, reading those names, taking those few hours at the monument to do that, uh, just led me to, to feel that this was our, our sense of duty that we had now, uh, now that Mr. Babcock had passed away um, uh, about a year earlier, and uh, it was up to us now. And if it wasn't uh, up to us, then, then these stories would die, and, and we would forget this incredible sacrifice that these men made at, at the time. And uh, it's so encouraging to see so many people interested now and, and wanting a piece of this story and finding out how they can do something locally in their family, in their community, at their school. Um, we're, we're on to something here. And, and I, uh, for so many years, have been talking about how little we know about our stories, but I feel that that's changing now, and, and Vimy's going to be a big turning point in, in how we tell our own stories and, and recognize our own history. I'm trying to remember, and this, forgive me for doing this on the fly, but Greg, was it Montreal where they were renaming a park? Was that a, was that Vimy Park that they yeah, were renaming? Uh, after uh, uh, Jean Drapeau, I believe. J- Jacques Parizeau. Oh, yeah. Jacques Parizeau, uh, yes, yes. Did that happen? Yeah, Jacques- 
it it uh, it is happening on April 9th. So in Montreal, in downtown Montreal, they've moved uh, the sign that would have been in that small park in a bit in a little suburb, and they're rededicating a park in downtown Montreal. Will be a lot more. Uh, traffic, a lot more uh, visitors, a lot more people, uh, you know, visiting the park and being present in the park. That will be renamed Vimy Park uh, on April 9th in Montreal. So, um, so lobbying uh, on, you know, on behalf of those types of things for us and the foundation, uh, again, gives us some encouragement that there is some real interest locally to to tell this story and and then to market. So it's not just hey, yeah, we did something for Vimy today. We'll do something different tomorrow. Once you mark something and you have a ceremony, the plaque's up there. We know that that will last for, for a while, and we're hoping that 100 years from now we don't have the same controversy as we had last summer. Yeah, so uh, Perizot was the former Premier of Quebec, Jean Drapeau, of course, the mayor when Montreal hosted the Olympics. So uh, I apologize for interchanging the two. The point is that, you know, when that story came out, uh, Jeremy, we were, we were both infuriated to imagine that this was happening but was this part of a larger movement to create a more suitable uh, situation and geography for the Vimy Park in Montreal? It turned out that way and we did not actually anticipate to be honest the groundswell of support and anger and frustration and and insult that that people were feeling uh, when, when this happened. I think locally it was just something like um, well, we have Vimy uh, other things, Vimy streets and Vimy areas, so we'll just replace this Vimy one with, with something else. And there was no, I think, ill intention, but I don't think at all people thought that it would get as much attention as it did. But as a result of that attention, which, let's be honest, we'll, we'll admit at the foundation, we, we fanned a little bit. Uh, we got something that I think, again, will have much more uh, attention given to it in an area that much more people, many more people will visit, excuse me, and, um, and then get another time this April 9th to talk about the importance of Vimy in a positive way, in a rededication uh, way, in a participatory way. So we're, we're happy about that, and, uh, and we hope that it'll be there for, for a long time, and then be able to be visited throughout the centennial year this year to educate people that visit that park. Now, you mentioned Hill 70 and some of the other in, in incredibly important sites uh, in France as, as part of World War I in particular. And the story of Menin Gate, I knew nothing about until right around Remembrance Day last year. Have you been there, Jeremy? I actually, I, I haven't, embarrassingly. I've been over to, to France and to Vimy five times, and I, I haven't made it there. I'm planning on going next week. Uh, people that are listening have to look up this story of, of Menin Gate. Uh, very briefly, Menin Gate is, uh, uh, is in Belgium in, uh, near Ypres, which is a, a site of where many other things, uh, uh, John McCrae penned in Flanders Fields in 1915. Um, but it was also the site of, of severe gas attacks and, and, and awful deaths of, of Canadian soldiers and other soldiers. Um, and after the First World War, uh, they created a, a war memorial there in a small town in Belgium uh, where every single night um, since uh, the war ended, except I believe, and I, somebody may call in your show and, and counter me on this, I believe two nights, two or three, um, uh, all except two or three nights, they have done a ceremony there uh, the same way they've done it for nearly 100 years um, consecutively. Um, and so people go there. You can visit there with if there's three people there or there's 30,000 people there. They have the same ceremony. Um, so they're expecting a group of a few thousand to go there on the evening before the, the eve of Vimy 100, so April 8th. Um, and we have a group going there. We have a group of students going there, 25 students from Canada that are going there. 
uh, and it's, an, uh, from what I've heard, an incredible experience and, and something that has gone through generations. So you, you'd have fourth generation people there uh, whose grandfathers or great grandfathers that would have been at that ceremony in the 20s. So uh, an incredible site of, um, uh, of history that's connected directly to Canada's war effort and something that I would encourage everybody to go to, myself included. Jeremy, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, we'd love it if uh, at some point next week, if you uh, might be able to make just a few minutes for us, if it's possible, technologically speaking, and with all your uh, engagements and all your uh, things that you need to do, we'd love to talk to you next week if it's at all possible while you're in in France and, and while uh, uh, these ceremonies, uh, of course, not in the middle of them, but, uh, you know, shouldering <laughs> on either side of them. Uh, if we can arrange it, uh, it I would love to, to speak with you again. This is fascinating stuff and congratulations to you and your foundation for making this visitor center a reality. It's a piece of history that uh, I know a lot of us are determined to to never have forgotten. Well, I appreciate it. I'd be happy to chat with you next week um, from, from the ground and uh, thank you to you and your listeners and anybody else that's going to be taking part in Vimy Day uh, celebrations and commemorations next weekend. Jeremy Diamond, thank you very much. Jeremy, once again, is the executive director of the Vimy Foundation. It is 2.20 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is up next. Got to quickly talk about the Phantom of the Opera. It is coming to Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall, August 23rd to September 3rd. Tickets on sale tomorrow. But there is a pre-sale on right now. Is that the song you were looking for? This is the one. Ah. You know what? I'll, I'll tell the I'll tell the story right now. I was looking. Do you remember in the early '90s? Um, much music. You might remember, you might not. But Much Music used to play this. It actually was uh, a charting single. I believe it went number one on their countdown as a result of the Canadian production that opened in Toronto. Which was there for like a decade. Yeah. I don't remember much of the early 90s okay. overall. Oh, I, oh, yes. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, I was looking for this particular version of The Phantom of the Opera because I used to love this this watching the music video. Couldn't find it anywhere on YouTube, so I had a summit with Julie Buckingham and Jeff Braun, and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Julie was able to dig it out, so thank you, Julie. Fantastic. My Google foo was failing me, so now I needed to call Ken, in an it, assist. Was it Burgess? Michael Burgess? Did he play the Phantom in Toronto forever and a day? He may have. It did. That particular version was Colm Wilkinson and okay. Rebecca Kane okay. as uh, the Phantom and Christine, I believe is her name. But uh, that's from the early 90s. Just a blast from the past from much music in case you remember that. Well done. Uh, thanks again to Julie for helping me dig it up. But yeah, there's a presale on right now. You can access the presale by texting the word in uppercase, text the word Phantom to 204-780-6868. From there, you will receive instructions on how to proceed with that pre-sale. So again, if you want access to a pre-sale to Phantom of the Opera before tickets go on sale to the general public tomorrow, you can text the word PHANTOM, all uppercase, to 204-780-6868, and you will be given instructions on how to go from there. And we're also going to be doing an interview on Monday about the Phantom. We are? With the, yes, the associate director and associate producer, Seth Sklar Hain. We're going to be talking to Seth at uh, 3 o'clock to get some information about this 
new production of The Phantom of the Opera. I did go to the Toronto production right as it was wrapping up, basically, in 1999. It was when Paul Stanley was the Phantom. I remember when Paul Stanley was the Phantom. Unfortunately, Paul Stanley was, was not the Phantom. That day? That, he was ill? He was, I, he was just off. Ah. The, the guy who did it was still great. I can't remember his name. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was. I think it was my first real, other than a couple of small plays, it was my first sort of big production, musical production. And I, I, I almost want to say I was kind of thumbing my nose at it. Like, well, I guess I'll go to the phantom and right from the opening like when the chandelier gets risen up to the ceiling i just i think my jaw was on the floor for the rest of the spectacular night. saw it when it came here to winnipeg uh in the early 90s at the centennial concert hall uh it was absolutely tantalizing it was so good and i think a lot like you brett i was reluctant to go at first and uh, to this day, I, I don't say no to anything like that. <laughs> For sure. It's just amazing. So looking forward to that again. Text the word PHANTOM to 204-780-6868. That will give you access to the pre-sale before tickets go on sale tomorrow. For the PHANTOM of the Opera. Global News at 2.30 up next. going to talk about in this segment with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen? Uh, the various bands that you enjoy? That could be the topic, but it is not the topic. Oh, okay. What are we talking about? Dreams. <laughs> We're going to talk about dreams, Brett. <laughs> Were you not paying attention during the Mackling montage of, of music there? No. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about dreams with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He's a psychologist, uh, drcyrusdirksen.com. You can connect with them there, or you can tune in every Friday at Boat 233. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about a variety of things, including dreams. And this kind of sparked out of, I think it was off-air discussion last Friday. It might have been on-air. Yeah, uh, About my buddy years ago who was in the doghouse for a couple of weeks because his wife had a dream that he had cheated on her. And it was only a dream. It was only something she had imagined in her sleep. Why are dreams so powerful, Dr. Cyrus? Why do they create those feelings of animosity, even though an actual act of cheating never took place? Well, we're going to have a fun discussion today because dreams are still a mystery to psychologists. And uh, so we're not going to have any concrete answers to some of these questions, but we could talk about it. We could talk about how, uh, how impactful they are and but the truth is that uh, what we have right now for dreams is theories. We don't have any uh, concrete reasons on why we dream or uh, why they affect our days. We have evidence that it does affect our days. It's not just anecdotal. For example, they uh, found that uh, 25% of people who participated in the study found that four times in the past year, 
they had been affected, their mood had been affected by what they had dreamt the night before. So this is happening to people all over. They wake up and they feel something in their dream and they continue to feel something about it later on. Well, and along the lines of, of Greg's example about his buddy ending up in the doghouse for two weeks, well, I was dating this girl and I dreamt that she had cheated on me mm-hmm. and I woke up. I was really unsettled by it, and I, mm-hmm. I, I knew it was a dream. Obviously, it was a dream. She hadn't done anything wrong, mm-hmm. but I was upset all day to the point where she finally said, like, what is wrong with you today? <laughs> and I told her, and I said, I'm not mad at you. I'm just, I'm having a really hard time getting this out of my head. It actually took me having to go back to sleep as though I needed to hit the reset button. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. feel better until I went back to sleep and woke up the next day. But so I guess maybe the question is, how do you... Deal with that when you, mm-hmm. you're you're carrying this the weight of that dream with you all day. Well, I think it's challenging. I think that uh, just like our imaginations can be powerful, our dreams can be powerful. Maybe a, another step more so when they're vivid, uh, they can be even more powerful than our imaginations. And I mean, similar to our imaginations, the neural pathways that we use when we dream are the same ones that we use when we're awake. So if you imagine a red barn when you're dreaming, or you see a red barn when you're dreaming. Uh, that neuron or path or pattern of neurons that's being fired is the same that's fired when you're awake and you see a red barn, generally speaking. And so this is kind of a real thing in your brain. It's a real experience and they're real emotions. And so when you wake up, it's not too surprising that it, on some level it feels like it really happened. Uh, or at least your brain might interpret it that way. So uh, there's part of your brain, obviously, that says this isn't real, that this is... Uh, just to dream, but when it's particularly vivid, when it's particularly upsetting, sometimes that might not be enough. I've always wondered what it would be like to have a bunch of wires or maybe a couple of RCA plugs that you could just plug into <laughs> either ear and have it tied to, uh, well, a VCR, of mm-hmm. course, was the first time uh, I thought about this, and then be able to re-watch your dreams at night like they're a movie, right? Uh, just this whole idea of, of recalling what you dreamt about, uh, journaling them, does that help? for you to recall them and to make more sense of them? Is this something that you have any knowledge about? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is we're actually getting closer to your idea of being able to control your dreams. We're getting, I don't say we're close, but we're getting closer. What they found is that they've they've taken people and they've recorded their dreams and then they've matched them up with the uh, MRI readings that they, oh, they had people dream in an MRI and then they recorded their dreams and they use this to uh, create... Uh, you know, patterns that represent like uh, MRI patterns that represent certain dreams. And then they had people dream again and they were able to predict what they were dreaming. And they were able to do this 60% of the time to some, I'm sure there was error in it, of course, but, you know, generally speaking, they had some idea of what these people were dreaming without them even telling them. And so we're not there, but we're getting closer. uh, And, um, what was the second part? Oh, if you write them down. Yes. Yes. If, if you write them, if you write yes. them down, if you, uh, if you wake up and you write them down right away, you're more likely to remember it. And if you become more aware of your surroundings in general during the day, and if you become, if you feel and decide that your dreams are more important, you're more likely to be able to remember them. And if you record them when you wake up and you get into that pattern, you're more likely to remember them and you're more likely to wake up after you have them so that you can record them. And uh, so these these are some things that happen. And if you want to remember your dreams, it's a good way to do it. Well, often, even if I want to to remember my dreams, it's like sometimes I'll wake up and 
and think that was a doozy, and then I'll get up and go to the washroom <laughs> or whatever, and then ten seconds later, I've forgotten. Like yes. it just, it seems to just evaporate. Like, why does that happen? It's not like I'm trying to forget, but it just, it's gone, and I can't remember what it was. I've never heard a really good reason for that. I've heard one theory that it was because it wasn't grounded to anything in your life. Uh, these things seem to be kind of separate from anything. Normally, our memories, the theory goes, the memory, our memories work by association primarily. So. If you try just to remember a random fact, it's very difficult. Uh, but if you associate that random fact with something that's already firmly in your memory, you're much more likely to remember it. And our dreams kind of happen in isolation. They don't happen associated with anything else. So you wake up, there's this dream in your head, like a random fact, uh, like a phone number. Uh, that's just a random phone number. And yeah, it just disappears pretty quickly. Uh, but if you all of a sudden associate that phone number uh, with another with something that's very important to you, perhaps a hockey player's jersey or something like this, then you're much more likely to remember it. Um, and uh, so if you take the time and you write down your dream or you think deeply about your dream and connect it with things in your life, uh, you're much more likely to remember them. Now I understand that all these things are theoretical mm-hmm. uh, because they cannot be proven. Mm-hmm. But what about reoccurring dreams? I have these dudes and these gals, they show up in my dreams and it's only in my dreams mm-hmm. and for years now and I'll be in a certain place or doing something and it's like, oh yeah, this is like the sequel to the dream I had in 2005, <laughs> but when I'm in it, I understand that these people are not from my real life, but they are reoccurring characters from a series of dreams I've been having, say, for even 20 years. Like, mm-hmm. what's the deal with that? Well, okay, so I'm going to start to theorize now. So if you ask me if I have any proof or evidence for any of this, you aren't going to hear it. Uh, we do have some evidence that people <laughs> will uh, think about the things in their day. And, uh, like, for example, if they take rats and they um, put them in a maze... And they have this, you know, it's a difficult maze. And they watch their neurons and which neurons are firing when they hit certain points in the maze, like the, you know, certain intersections. When that rat dreams later in the night, they're dreaming with those neurons, the tough neuron dream. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out the maze in their dream. So our brains, I mean, that's one theory, is that we're problem solving uh, in our dreams, trying to resolve things, trying to understand things. So if you have certain people in your life... This is where I'm kind of going off the road here, but if you allow me, if you, uh, if you have certain people in your life that represent certain key points in your maze, you may use those, uh, those people, those symbols to problem solve uh, or at least try to understand or cope with uh, things that may be going on in your life. Um, and uh, so in the same way that that rat is using those certain points uh, to understand. You may be using certain points and certain people or things might, you know, come to, uh, you know, perhaps represent uh, those things. Just one more question before we pause for our forecast update. Uh, Text from a listener, actually. Listener wants to know, do all people dream? Or is there a way to even verify that? Oh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I believe the answer is yes. If... uh, I'm not 100% sure of that. I believe the answer is yes. Um, it's associated with a certain kind of sleep uh, that almost everybody, well, I think everybody engages in. Uh, I'm not a sleep expert, but I do think I know that. Um, and uh, if you wake somebody up closer to REM sleep, 
they are more likely to remember their dream. And my understanding is that we need REM sleep in order to actually survive. And if you wake people up before they get there, it's almost like they're not sleeping at all hardly. So uh, I believe the answer is yes, but... Um, Just but, for some, the, the recall might not be there. Yeah, the recall is the problem. Yeah. Because I remember, and I, I know I said to be pause, but I uh, know that when I was trying to quit smoking, I was on the nicotine patch. Mm. My dreams were wonderful. They were so intense every <laughs> single night. And once the patch came off, now it's very sporadic, if I remember at all. Oh, uh, but it was a it was a real boost. So maybe for some people, they just if they want or, or can't remember their dreams. Is there a way to boost? Well, apparently you can go in the patch. <laughs> um, there are some, uh, I think, prescription drugs that will increase uh, dreaming. There's some that, that, that are known to do that. In fact, there's some that increase sexual dreams to the point where people feel uncomfortable taking the drugs uh, because they feel like they're cheating on their partner by doing so. So um, I, they, I don't know exactly what all these drugs are or... or uh, or where to get them, but uh, I think that, you know, it's definitely something that you can influence with chemicals. Okay, we're going to pause now for your forecast update and continue our chat with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. We're talking about dreams. Your forecast up next. Going the complete opposite direction of Greg's musical selections. This is one from Dance Mix 95. Remember that, Dr. Cyrus? I could just picture you at the nightclub. Oh, Can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about dreams with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen of Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. Do you really think Dr. Cyrus had a pair of uh, hammer pants at, at any point in time? <laughs> oh, I bet you he had some glow sticks going. Uh, it was a dream. It was <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Cyrus, we're, we're talking today about dreams and, and why sometimes we, we carry them with us. Greg gave an example, and one of our listeners did confirm, we did briefly talk about this last week on the air, that uh, one of your friends ended up in the doghouse, Greg, for two weeks. Yes, he did. Uh, because his wife, uh, or girlfriend, I can't remember. Yeah, his wife. His wife dreamt mm-hmm. that he cheated on her, so she was mad at him for two weeks. That's right. I had a dream where my girlfriend cheated on me. I wasn't mad at her, but I was upset all day. And I couldn't shake it despite my best efforts, despite all the logic in the world of me saying, it was just a dream, let it go. Just couldn't shake it. Here's another thing that's been happening to me lately, Mm. Dr. Cyrus, Mm -hmm. uh, back to the subject of smoking. I often dream that I'm smoking. Mm. I'll go buy a pack of smokes, smoke them all, and then I feel guilty in the dream, and then I wake up feeling guilty. Then I feel relieved because I realize I was just dreaming, but I still feel guilty. Sometimes what? a cigarette is just a cigarette. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but I feel guilty because it's I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to put it behind me. It is well behind me and then I keep going back to it in my dreams. I guess the question is why how do I deal with that guilt when I it's just a dream? How can you deal with the guilt that a dream can bring you? Well, I think that um it's it's interesting cuz um dreams seem to be related to mental health and the feelings that you have uh, during the day, like if you're depressed or if you have schizophrenia or if you have some kind of personality disorder, they do affect the dreams that you have. And it seems that we've been talking about how it kind of works the reverse way. If you have a certain kind of dream, it affects your daytime mood. So um, I think 
generally speaking, uh, the way that you would manage any mood that comes from your dream is the way that you'd manage any mood that you'd get from any other experience. Uh, it's just so interesting that it can be brought about by a dream. Uh, like, for example, people who have you know, depression are more negative in their dreams, maybe not too surprisingly. They feel more uh, failures and misfortunes in their dream. They feel less powerful and play more passive roles in their dream. Um, and they have a lower recall of their dream. People with schizophrenia are more anxiety and negative affect, more, uh, they have more strangers in their dream and less, more idiosyncratic, uh, strange things happening in their dreams. <laughs> idiosyncratic? <laughs> there you go. And, uh, look at you correcting the doctor. <laughs> it'll, it's, it'll be a one time thing. <laughs> I welcome it. And, uh, so yeah, anyway, so the, uh, people with, you know, mental health disorders, it, it goes both ways, it seems. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, when people have problems with their dreams, you try to treat their emotional problems first. You know, people with PTSD or something like that will often have recurring nightmares. The first step is to treat, uh, you know, the daytime emotions that they're having. Uh, but yes, it's difficult sometimes because those dreams continue and, and can be tough to treat. I know that uh, in my past, when I was a little kid, I had an experience that involved my mom that for years I believed was a dream. Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, there's no way that it's reality. And then a couple mm. days after my mom had passed away, I had some alone time with my dad. Mm. And I said, you know, dad, can't shake this feeling that this dream that I've had wasn't actually a dream. Mm -hmm. It was actually a situation with you and mom. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it turned out it was a genuine experience. Wow. But the way I carried it with me, it was as a dream. Hmm. And I just always wondered if, you know, we think we remember stuff, mm -hmm. but do we remember the picture mm -hmm. of you blowing out your birthday cake when you were four, mm -hmm. right? Because you mm -hmm. have that photo album that your mom gives you at 21. And, oh, I remember that. Do you remember that or do you remember it because you saw the picture of it? <laughs> do you understand where I'm oh, coming yes, from? Yes. Is it your first person recollect, recollection or is it that depiction, you mm -hmm. know, from the video camera or from the camera mm -hmm. that we're re reliving mm -hmm. from the outside in? Yeah. We have these, uh, we have these images, we have these experiences uh, from our past and we have to make decisions. We have to make decisions about whether they're real, whether they're not real. Uh, based on the experience of them in our brain. Like when people are uh, dreaming, some people can have more control in their dreams uh, than others. And when they're in their dreams, they have to decide whether it's a real experience or not. Hmm. Sometimes they can figure out that it's a dream because something's in the wrong place. That's not where I keep that. Hey, this must be a dream. They start to get more control. People who are very aware can sometimes do that. Uh, in the same way, when you have a memory uh, or when you have a dream in the past, you kind of have to decide uh, when you think about that, boy, was that a dream? I think you're, my, my uh, opinion is that you're actually deciding about these things and you have to gather evidence uh, from the memory itself or from people who were there uh, to decide whether that was actually real or not. Our memories are much more malleable than most people think and uh, we are usually, we should be more skeptical and uncertain of our memories, generally speaking, than we probably are. Tim says a spoonful of peanut butter before bed increases vivid dreams. 
And then he says, hey, try it if you don't believe me. <laughs> so maybe that can be some research for you, Dr. Tim, Cyrus. Tim's been full of good advice this week. <laughs> DrCyrus.com is the website. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. He is a psychology a psychologist and his name, once again, Dr. Cyrus. He joins us every Friday at 2.30 on Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. After the news, we're going to talk WrestleMania. 308 Friday afternoon means we start asking one another... What are you doing this weekend? I know movies are a big part of what you do, but I also know you like the wrestling, McGarry. I do, and I just might have to check it out. Really? It's happening on Sunday. Might not be on your radar, but for many pro wrestling fans, this weekend is the biggest of the year. And 680 CJOB's Kyle Milroy explains why. Prepare to explode. Champion versus champion. Title for title. It's the ultimate challenge! It's WrestleMania! This Sunday marks the 33rd edition of WWE's premier event, WrestleMania. Some of you might ask, what? What? What exactly is WrestleMania? Did you say something? Well, WrestleMania is the Super Bowl of professional wrestling. It's every wrestler's dream to be a part of it. A week-long celebration that culminates in a huge event, attendance sometimes eclipsing 100,000 fans. This year's WrestleMania takes place at the Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. WrestleMania 32 set a WWE attendance record with a total of 101,763 fans crammed into AT&T Stadium in Texas. I'll tell you, Gorilla, I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to the World Series. I've even been to the Rolling Stones. But there is one event that surpasses them all, and that's WrestleMania. And here we are, Gorilla. I'm fired up. That is the voice of former governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura. He is not the only celebrity politician to be a part of the WWE universe. He is, without a doubt, one of the most influential, powerful, and richest men in all the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the Donald, Donald Trump. Let me put it very simply, Vince. I'm taller than you. I'm better looking than you. I think, I think I'm stronger than you. Fun fact, Donald Trump is a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. Every pro wrestler you may have heard of has been a part of WrestleMania. Dwayne The Rock Johnson who went on to have an extremely successful movie career. Stone Cold Steve Austin, who has also been in movies. What? Hulk Hogan, who may make a return to the WWE at WrestleMania. And... The Undertaker. The Undertaker, who debuted in 1990 with the WWE, is still wrestling to this day. Impress your friends with this fun fact, The Undertaker has only lost once at WrestleMania events. He has a record of 23 wins to one loss. Brock Lesnar, fighting against Goldberg this Sunday at WrestleMania 33, is the only man to defeat The Undertaker back at WrestleMania 30. Well, it's a big show. Other wrestlers you may have heard of participating in matches include The Big Show, AJ Styles, Shane McMahon, who is son of the owner, Vince McMahon. Shane's brother-in-law, Triple H. Kevin Owens. And local hero, Chris Jericho. 
What will the iconic moment at WrestleMania 33 be? Will it rival Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3? Look at this! He's Or Hogan squaring off against the Ultimate Warrior in the Skydome at WrestleMania 6. Or Hogan returning to face The Rock at WrestleMania 18, also at Skydome. Many in the crowd chanting for The Rock. Quite frankly, many in the crowd chanting for Hogan. Or Pete Rose getting piledrived by Kane, brother of The Undertaker. That's Pete Rose! Pete Rose just got tombstone! Don't ask. So there you have it, WrestleMania 33 this Sunday in Orlando, Florida. If you see a wrestling fan with an extra skip in their step this weekend, now you'll know why. For 680CGOB, I'm Kyle Milroy. Amazing piece from Kyle Milroy. Thank you very much, Kyle, for putting that together. It's I, I used to watch pro wrestling as a kid for a little, up until I was a teenager, and then I stopped, and then I got back into it when I was about 18, 19 years old, got into it really big. And I actually got to go to WrestleMania X7, as it was called. That's crazy. In 2001. And how did you get there? I got to Houston at the Astrodome. I know know you took an airplane, but... Courtesy of our friend Hal Anderson. Him and BJ had a a contest on Power 97 called WrestleManiacs, where you had to call uh, the knob line... And leave a voicemail. <laughs> so I'm listening to this. I've got my Walkman. I'm on the bus. I'm on my way to work downtown, and I'm listening to them do this. And I rarely enter contests because I never win anything. But I thought, I can actually do this because I you had to leave a voicemail impersonating a wrestler. And I had a not bad impression of Hulk Hogan. So I get off the bus on Graham, and I think it was Carlton. There was a phone booth there. <laughs> So it's like you did this on a public phone. It's like eight in the morning downtown. (laughs) I go to this phone booth and I can't remember what I said, but it was something along the lines of, well, let me tell you something, BJ and Hal, what you're going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you. So if you if they play the voicemail on the air, you qualified. You got to go to the finals. So I got a call from uh, somebody in their promotions team and they said, we played your we played your message, so you're in. So at that point, the idea was that you had to show up at Bullwinkle's in Transcona in costume. Oh, my. Are there pictures? There there might be pictures, but I didn't end up doing Hulk Hogan. I actually called an audible. They let me call. I said, listen, I don't have a Hulk Hogan costume, but I do have a costume of another wrestler named Mankind. I don't know. His name is Mick Foley. Yes. And this Mankind character was sort of this... He, he was the, like a crazy did he, person. Did he have the leather mask? Yeah. He had a creepy leather mask. Okay. So I had bought this mask. It, was, it wasn't it was like the actual leather mask. It was just a... Like a, it was a mask in his face and came with the hair that I bought at Gags Unlimited for a Halloween costume. And I thought, oh my God, I can I can show up like in my Mankind costume. I'll, I'll kill them all. All six foot four of you. And uh, sure enough, I I won the contest. Fantastic! With my friend Mike Burkus, I was he who volunteered and let me deliver mankind's finishing move. I pulled Mister Socko <laughs> out of my pants, put it on my hand, and I gave him the mandible claw. <laughs> and then VJ and Hal sent me and him to Houston for WrestleMania X7, and it was one of the greatest experiences as a wrestling fan. It was 
easily and like the best things that's ever happened. That'd be like going to the Stanley Cup final, man. And it was on in row 16 on the floor. You've got to be joking me. That main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Arguably the two of easily two of the biggest stars Which in the history of wrestling. Which WrestleMania was this? It was 17. Where are we at now? Uh, 33. That, my friend, that is a great story. Well told. Yeah, it was. Well uh, it's still regarded as as one of the best, if not the best, WrestleMania. So it was a real pleasure and privilege to go. So thanks, Hal, and he's going to come in and talk to us at 3:35, right? Of course he is. It's Friday. All right. So traffic and weather coming up next. All right. We're going to give away some tickets to see Age of Electric. That's happening next Thursday already. April the 6th. gets asked at my house all the time. Where is the remote control? <laughs> Where the remote control is? Sometimes I get my kids out of bed. Were you the last one to use the TV? <laughs> What'd you do with it? <laughs> Thursday, April 6th at Nashville's Canadians Transcona. So what's today's question, Greg? Well, earlier in the program, we visited with uh, Dr. Cyrus, mm-hmm. and I played a montage. We played a montage of songs that sung about dreams. Okay. We're not going to make you recall what the songs were, but we are going to ask you to pay attention right now. There are five artists in this montage. You have to call in to 780-6868 and name four of them. Be the first person to name four of the five artists included in that montage, and you'll be off to see one of our favorite local connection bands, Age of Electric, Thursday night out at Nashville's. Thursday, April 6th, Age of Electric. Name four of the five bands that Greg put together in this fabulous montage. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Still to come, we're going to talk to Hal Anderson after Global News at 3.30. In the meantime, traffic, weather, sports, all up next. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, Hal Anderson is Hello. here. Hey! I've got no you. prizes for you if you've got a wrestling impersonation for me, Brett. I'm sorry, I have nothing. <laughs> Brett figured okay, that he was getting a trip down to Orlando. What's the name of that arena, that stadium? Camp, a camping world, I think. We'll camping stick world you on stadium? a bus and send you to Miami, Manitoba. <laughs> oh. That's what we'll do. <laughs> That's another classic yeah. story. Oh, sure. <laughs> You're really opening that can no, of worms, Anderson? I'm not. No, I'm okay. not. I just get such a kick out of the fact that Brett was, was a listener back then. And that, you know, we ins- somehow we inspired him to get into this business. And it's just, it's crazy. It's it's nice to hear. It puts a smile on my face. Thank you. Yeah. From the bottom of my heart for doing that. Yeah. Uh, Brett, we have a new catchphrase for our show. 
starting today, do we not? Where listeners become winners. That's right. Norma Paul's winning the big trip to Vancouver to see the Joshua Tree Tour 30th anniversary. You two. And she May qualified 12th. on your show. She wow. qualified on this show. We where, have the winners, where winners become listeners. No, where listeners become winners. <laughs> did, well, I, did I say it wrong? No, no, you said it wrong. <laughs> I said it wrong. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> we also gave away, or at least we uh, did our best to give away a pair of tickets to Age of Electric and uh, the segment just before sports. And it was James, is it James Collis? Is that how you pronounce it? James Collis uh, is going to see Age of Electric next Thursday, April 6th at Nashville's. And the question was related to the dream music montage that Greg had put together. You needed to name four of the five. And uh, James actually knew them all. What were they, Greg? Do you... They were Van Halen, yep. Marilyn Manson, uh-huh. just very briefly, and then the Eurythmics, uh-huh. Super Tramp, and then the one I figured would trip a lot of people up, Gary Wright. That was uh, Dreamweaver, and then we heard Van Halen again. So uh, surprise, surprise, Mackling would put Van Halen in twice. But speaking of music montages and lifting everyone's spirits, Hal, I was sure I saw Shaner and Timmy kicking around well, earlier today. You did. Muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys. We have a special treat for you. Uh, now, normally you would only hear our work on Hal Anderson weekends, where listeners become disappointed. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, but today, for you guys, uh, we have done a song that we call Come Friday With Us. You, I don't know about you guys, but sticks, right? Come hello. sail, come sail away. Tommy so Shaw, hello. It's kind of a bit of a ripoff, but it's for you and all the Mackling and McGarry. Is it McGarry and Mackling or Mackling and McGarry? Which is, I always get we this don't confused. Care. Where listeners become winners. That's right. For you today, because it's Friday. Hit it. Muchos kilos. On CJOB. <laughs> this will put you in a good mood heading into the weekend. Who plays the piano in this piece? We Who's all contribute. These guys are amazing. It's finally Friday. Yes, it is. Oh, I can hardly wait. Beginning of your week, Hal. <laughs> Time to put the week far behind me. Is that you singing, Hal? <laughs> no. I Friday, we're free, all of us. Free for the weekend that's ahead of me. I'm gonna cry. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> this week at work, I was so bored. Put a picture of my boss <laughs> oh, no. on the dartboard. <laughs> I, I saw that one coming, I admit. <laughs> We're not subtle, that's for sure. <laughs> Week is done. Woo! Yeah! And then this is the chorus, of course, which goes on and on and on. And on and yes, it's Friday. Come Friday with me. How you know my philosophy on singing? Just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. No, I know. No, no, just because you can Go right ahead. Okay, no, I just thought, so I, I thought uh, that worked today because it's Friday, and so we'll, no, we'll actually have another song or two tomorrow as I well on, on the show. So uh, Please don't, don't forget, Hal Anderson Weekends, where listeners become disappointed. <laughs> what do you have coming up on the show this week? Ah, uh, I'm going to be talking tomorrow. I know you talked with him yesterday, I think, Chris Rutkowski, ah. uh, about the UFO uh, numbers that are out, but... 
Chris and I have a very special announcement on my show tomorrow Ooh. that I really hope everybody uh, tunes in tomorrow to hear what the announcement is because I'm super excited about this. What time? Um, I believe uh, Chris is going to be on early, 7.30 uh, tomorrow. Uh, but we'll be talking about the announcement after that throughout the show. So please tune in. Also, Brian Barkley, he has to sleep in a little bit. He's back from traveling, so he wants to come on the show and tell us about his travels after 9 o'clock tomorrow. I have uh, Age of Electric tickets to give away. I've also got uh, Hal's Kitchen to qualify a bunch of people for. Uh, so, you know, it, listen, I'll tell you what, on the, on the weekends, we're just a little more laid back. If you want to f- phone and talk about whatever, I don't turn down a phone call. Uh, we don't have a screener. Uh, just whatever you want to talk about. We just, we, what, like, for example, <laughs> last weekend, I've my mom. I've seen the text messages. It's great. Oh, it's hilarious. My mom says to me, this is true. My mom made it from Southern Alberta. She phones me and she goes, hey. And now she thinks she's the content producer of my show. She goes, hey, uh, how about if you ask people out here, they found uh, a bolt in a muffin at Costco. Why don't you ask people what kind of stuff they found in their food? Well, the phones went nuts. I've never seen the phones here get so crazy. Really? And people calling with all kinds of stories. So, you know, that's the kind, that's the sort of, and toys. We started two weeks ago talking about toys. People are still talking about their favorite toys as kids. We did that similar topic. Yeah. And, oh, man, people love to reminisce, right? They, absolutely. And I and I, I love it, too. I just kick back, and I'm I'm a listener along with everybody else. So I don't, a, know if it's, I don't know if it's working, but we're doing it. I'm not a better marketer than you, but I have a better slogan than you. Appointment radio yes. and its finest. Yeah. Hal Anderson weekends. I hope so. 7 to 10, Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Hal Anderson. Yeah. And thanks for the song. You're welcome. Yeah. I, you didn't bring any tissue with you. I don't know, a little soggy. You, a little, and yeah. you didn't bring any beer for yeah. the rock and oh, roll Oh, don't part. worry. You don't know what you owe us now for that. We're gonna, <laughs> that's the only... Uh, I just made about 42 cents in SoCan fees right there. Just send the bill to Richard Cloutier <laughs> yeah. at yeah. CGOB.com. Right. Okay. Richard and Julie are coming in next, yeah. by the way, after traffic and weather together. Do you think Mr. Big Voice will throw in where listeners become winners or not? Probably. If you, mm-hmm. if you pay him enough. Norma Pauls won the uh, U2 contest. What show did she qualify listening uh, to? I think I heard the Fun and Games Department say mm. that it was Jeff Career's show. Well, the Fun and Games Department would be lying to you. She qualified <laughs> uh, eight days ago on Mackling and McGarry. Uh, fun and Games between McDonald's and Wendy's. Richard, I know you don't eat McDonald's anymore, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Slim. No, I've... But uh, uh, three of the four of us in here do. I've indulged every once in a while. In oh. fact, I've been to McDonald's once in the past two weeks. Hey, so good you know. for you. Next time, call me. I'll, I'll buy. Uh, McDonald's says uh, yesterday, today we've announced that by mid-2018, all quarter-pounder burgers at the majority of our restaurants will be cooked with fresh beef. Yeah, sounds like a great is that announcement. An April okay. Fool's thing? Or? No, this okay. is yesterday. It's not even close to the deadline. Well, Wendy's jumps in and says, "There's at, already are at McDonald's." Oh, it was way more clever than that. Okay, so you'll still use frozen beef in most of your burgers in all of your restaurants. <laughs> asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, that's got 150,000 likes and 62.8,000 retweets. So. Kudos to you, Wendy's, for uh, taking advantage of uh, what could have been a big announcement for one of your competitors, and thus is guerrilla marketing in this day and age. Yes, that is true. Looking forward to a a fun afternoon, and speaking of uh, products, and one lady's products maybe not getting the buzz that she was hoping for. Mm. They're called Pee-Wee Pumps, and these are high-heeled shoes for infant girls. Oh, God. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're meant for babies zero to six months and really just meant to be like worn in the crib because obviously oh, okay. they're not. Because it's hard enough to walk at that age to begin with. Right. Yes. And uh, so the story has gone viral a little bit. She's taken some heat on social media, particularly from the UK, saying this is sexualizing young baby girls and all of this kind of thing. So we will talk to her and she says that, you know, for the most part, her product has been received very well in the United States. So um, we'll talk to her about that. Michelle Holbrook will join us just yes. after the 4.30 news. Is she from Winnipeg? No, no. no. Okay, good. Because I was like, that's really not a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> She's not from Winnipeg. No. Okay, all right. But we will also speak with a, a Canadian parenting expert about the idea and find out if if it, if it is just for fun or too much too soon for if, baby girls. If you want to horrify yourself, just Google peewee pumps and look <laughs> at the images. I, oh. Have we posted this on our Facebook will, page? Uh, go what live. is this? This is gross. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't okay. like this? Okay, so, yes. It will go live on our 680CJOB okay. Facebook page right. at 4 o'clock. Hey, where's that robot you guys had on yesterday? How big was it? Just, uh, it, it fit in my arms. Yeah, it was because uh, I was in the car and seal. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. Like I baby couldn't seal. Uh, watch it Robot. on Facebook Live, but it made like it's like R two D two is the most lovable of all the Star Wars characters, and all he does is bings and beeps and so whatever. It, has, it had artificial intelligence in it, and it was reacting when I was scratching it, sort of at the nape of its neck and on its stomach, and that's kind of the sounds it was making. It and just sat there for me. <laughs> Pretty just much, they had you, to. You get what you give, man. Yeah, the owner, the owner had to trigger it for for yeah. Richard. But speaking of artificial <laughs> intelligence, um, there is a new robot comedian that is made with artificial intelligence. He's called Lolbot. LOL, laughing right? out Lolbot. Lolbot. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit of audio of Lolbot, who will be performing at the Melbourne. Comedy Festival, and then we'll also find out about the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. Would they ever bring this thing here? Um, but yeah, yeah the creator says... I guess says, we're all replaceable, aren't we? The creator says he's turned comedy into math, and it can react. Basically, the the uh, audience throws out topics, and then it made jokes about it. They keep working on all this AI, AI stuff. Soon, Lolbot will be the killbot. Do, do, do these people not know? Do they not watch science fiction? Well, he does say at the end of his promo, um, this is Lolbot, death to all humans. Oh, so that's very encouraging. <laughs> that's nice. great. Nice. So there is that. And we'll have it here live on 680 yes. CJOB. Oh the, oh, the carnage. Yeah. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Thank you very much. The news from 4 until 7. Thanks, you guys. Charles Adler, by the way. Charles Adler tonight from yeah. 9 until midnight. Yeah. Monday uh, to Friday. We'll make people winners next Hold on. Week. Huh? What are uh, you? We will make winners next week. Why are they week? wasting these great tickets on you guys? Uh, Miranda Lambert tickets oh. to give away all next week on, oh yes, the news. Let's see. We're going to talk to promotions about this. I thought they want to. Well, hey. You know, we, we have to get. We got to give them That's something. That's true. You know? Okay, you can have. You, you, you can give. Have, we, you can give away tickets to a concert in Winnipeg. Yeah, we can't. We're uh, giving away concerts in Vancouver. Just so you know. Such a rivalry <laughs> that you've you've managed to form with our friends from the news. It's a friendly rivalry, just in case there's any confusion. The, the, I hope there's no confusion. Yeah, you always want. You always wonder sometimes. Hopefully, the listeners don't think we're actually. Angry with feuding? Them. Yeah, <laughs> I want them to think that we're feuding. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't like them at all. I I don't like Julia Richard. That's it for the for McLean McGarry. The news.
You always get to thank Jeff Forche. I want to thank Jeff Forche okay, this ahead. week for being outstanding at his job, for bringing a certain amount of professionalism, and he's always smiling, always brings up the EQ in our newsroom, and I want to thank him for the incredible job that he does each and every day here at 680 CGOB. Okay. Are you good? I'm good now. Goodbye. I'm going to Friday away. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Jeff Forte and Master Control. The news with Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, is up next.